Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's the trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. Yes, if you drop the ball anywhere in the client experience from the first impression to the final payment, things get super messy super quickly. BuildBook has spent the past several months developing the first-of-its-kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, add in sales tools so you can win the best projects, and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. If you're looking for an unfair advantage in your business, this is it. Head on over to buildbook.co now to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. Hey, Laura, glad to have you with me today. Thank you. It's really awesome to spend time with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the conversation because you have been an entrepreneur for, for a good chunk of your life. And I think you started pretty early, I guess. When, when did you kind of get the bug or uh, <laughs> dive into the entrepreneurial space? I've actually been an entrepreneur for more than half of my life now. I'm about to be 40 in like two weeks. And I started the entrepreneurial journey at 19. And now I'm feeling a little old. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, wow, more than half my life, two decades. Damn. Um, It goes quick, I bet. Oh my God. Just yesterday, I was like dealing with like acne in my very first contract. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for a very long time. And the journey has been up and down and all over the place. It's been a very interesting roller coaster ride. Yeah. So at 19, so what what was the business you first started or you know what what prompted you to do that at 19? I feel like that's not super common, although becoming a little more common these days. I'm excited that it's becoming more common. I tell yeah. you what, I see all these young people out there. I'm like, you're so much smarter than I was. Oh, I'm so impressed with all the young people today. Said like a true geezer. Wow. <laughs> um <laughs> So my first company is a marketing company. It's still going. I still own it. And yeah, I actually started it not because I was like, oh boy, I'm 19 and I can't wait to market things. No, I actually discovered that I'm highly unemployable. I am a terrible employee because I I don't like to follow other people's rules. I like to make the rules and I like to build machines versus operate them. Do you like to follow your own rules? No, I'm actually terrible at it. <laughs> yeah, um, I find so that's no, true about myself as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of times, you know, if you're in that kind of entrepreneurial seat, you're like, oh, I'm great at creating the systems. But then if you're the one that's like having to go through all the checkboxes of you try to circumvent and shortcut and, and you skip steps, I don't know. That's how I operate. So it's pretty terrible. <laughs> God, I want you to be wrong, but you're not, man. It's entrepreneurship is definitely for the rebel-minded among us. And no, I'm not great at following my own rules unless I passionately, passionately really want to do something. Then I'll 
you know, outpace everybody. But yeah, I remember that one year back when I was between 18, 19, where I had 14 jobs in one year, quit half, got fired from the other half. I was like, wow, I don't think this is really for me. Yeah. I don't think unemployment is for me either. So I think I need to do something. And so I started to create a company and I'm really glad that I did. It was, gosh, probably one of the single most pivotal uh, decisions in my entire life because being an entrepreneur, it puts you through the paces, grows you as a person, whether you want it to or not, you learn more than any school will ever teach you. And you get to do some really cool stuff that you would otherwise probably not get the chance to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I know uh, you said, I guess you're still involved with that business, but you're not maybe as active. Did you retire from that business or, or what happened? You know? Yeah. I retired sort of, and I say that in some air quotes, I looked for a successor, someone that could just carry on the work for me and who could come on to earn some equity. So I found wonderful partner and She's been in place for four years now and she lovingly fired me and it was the best time I ever got fired was she's like, Laura, you got to go. Really? Oh boy. Okay. So 19 years in, I got fired again and it was awesome. But then this year COVID showed up and cancer showed up and cancer was not kind to her. So she had thyroid cancer and with those two things, she really needed my help. So I kind of had to briefly unretire and help her out and do a lot of things to just kind of help her to recover, focus on her health, things like that. And wow, this year is going down in the books, my friend. It is yeah. going down in the books. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think it is for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm still involved right now because she can't, she's still not a hundred percent and it's giving me an opportunity to help the company to regain some footing after being solidly punched in the gut. After COVID, a lot of our clients were affected, like restaurants. We served yep. a lot of restaurants. So that'll hurt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, a lot of our clients are doing well and our business is growing again, which is awesome. But, you know, life is what it is. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious about, you know, the you getting fired, I guess, or air quotes retiring. Was that planned or did it just kind of happen? Because I think a lot of people listening are business owners, entrepreneurs, and Sometimes for a small business, there isn't necessarily a great way to exit. You know, there's not maybe not a lot of buyers for those types of businesses. And so I'm just curious around how that evolved. It's a great question. The retirement was very intentional. I retired at 37, around 32. I was starting to feel very burnt out, kind of crispy around the edges. And I knew that I wanted to get out. I wasn't sure exactly how. I mean, at 32, I mean, I was a young entrepreneur at 19 and thinking about such a thing at 32 felt ridiculous. Was I a millionaire? No. Was I any of the things that I wanted to be at 32? No, I was just very tired. And I just kept tossing the question around in my head. What do I do? What do I do? Do I exit? Do I just go get a job? Do I just take a year off and then start another company? Do I sell the company? Do I sell it for parts? Like, what do I do? I actually sat on the question for about a year and chose the strategy of looking for someone that would be able to buy 49% of the company or to earn their way into, quote unquote, buying 49% mm -hmm. of the company over time. And looking for that person took me a while. And I actually had a false start. I 
found someone that I really thought was going to be a great fit. Turns out that was a horrific fit. And that was just tragic. I'm just going to leave it there. But being able to find the next fit, which is Julia, she's my successor. That was definitely a function of people knowing me really well and people knowing her really well. I actually remember the woman that introduced us said to me, you know, you're the only person I ever met that's like you. And I remember you're the only person that ever terrified me the moment I met you. And I'm like, but that's not very nice. She's like, no, no, no. But, but wait, there's more. I met another woman that terrified me. You got to meet her. She's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Should I be flattered? It's just because we're both very like intimidating women. Um, we're very sure of ourselves, very accomplished. And we don't like play ball with people that like to make us small or diminish us in any way. And when I met Julia, I loved her right away. I was like, oh my goodness. And we started out to be friends. And then I actually, I'd asked for her help. Hey, can you help me um, find the right person for this? You know, I thought that she'd be great, which is why I asked her to help me find the right person because I wanted to find someone just like her. She looked at it and she thought, hmm, I think I'm going to apply for this. I think, I think I might like to do this. So she did. And it's been wonderful. Four that's years cool. in, she's my work wife. I love her. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah, and I think that happens for a lot of people. You know, you're never going to find that right person on the the first go around. I shouldn't say never, but you, you know, could. odds are I odds didn't. are low. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so what did this you know retirement look like when she started stepping in? You started stepping out. You know what uh, what happened next? Well, the process of getting me out was I had to run things fully for probably six months to nine months and just let her observe and slowly give her things. The thing about transition of leadership is we firmly, both of us believe that it's not something where you bring on the new person, shake things up and start changing things. No, 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 no. You need to sit back and observe and you need to keep some continuity in place. Otherwise you upset staff, you upset clients, you terrify vendors. It's, it's just bad. And you don't even realize the implications of the strings you're cutting. So a lot of it was just watching, doing, but also beginning to take on her advice and her input of, okay, well, wh- how would you handle this? Or, hey, hmm, I've got this challenge. This is new. How do you think we should handle this? And beginning to just kind of get her in slowly. Every leader has their advantages and their disadvantages, the things they're good at, the things they're not good at. I have weak spots. Everybody does. And my weak spots happen to be in operations. And that is one of the major things that I really wanted to bring her on to do. She's just better at it. She's just much, much, much better at it. I'm better at sales. So that's been a weak spot that I've had to help her with. But when it came to the operations, just being able to see where I was falling short made that one of the easiest places for her to begin to take over and to lovingly fire me from stuff. Laura, you're going to ruin this if you don't get your hands off of it. Can I just do it? Yes, you can. There mm-hmm. you go. Get me out of your way. Thank you. Yeah, it's a little um, scary, but mostly freeing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to learn long time ago, like probably eight or nine years into the business, I had to learn. And that's when I started hiring people. I had to learn to delegate and I had to learn quickly. And it was a very important lesson to realize that when you let someone do something their way, The definition of right can vary. It doesn't need to be your way to be right. Is it done? Is it done well? Does it make the other people that are paying you happy? Cool. If it checks the boxes, move on. I find that a lot of people prevent themselves from growing 
or developing exit strategies because they just insist on micromanaging things and it has to be done the way they would do it versus the way it could be done and done well. And when I learned that lesson, I was able to give myself probably some of the greatest liberty is just knowing I hired the right person for the job. You're good at this. It's okay if you do it differently from me. Are you going to get to the end, the finish line? And will you do it well and make people happy? Cool. Have a good time. I don't care. Good. Go with God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a huge you know, lesson. And really all you're looking for is the outcome, right? So does it really Pretty matter much. what path or you know how it's done as long as you get to that same or a very similar outcome? So as you started to back out, you know, and you hit, you know, quote unquote retirement, you know, I guess, what was that? What did that look like? You're just sitting around on the beach all day or, you know, yeah, no, I, I'm curious, no. you know, because a lot of people are striving for retirement and I don't think it is what they think it is. No, it's not. And I found that out the hard way. So first of all, I was living in Massachusetts and one does not sit around on the beaches that much. <laughs> um, it's yeah. a bit nippy. I live on Maui now and I moved here after I started like working on myself and like kind of like the deafening silence of retiring. You know, there's this thing where like a lot of like older, much older people will retire and then they're dying shortly thereafter, or they end up having like strokes, which happened to my grandfather because they sit around and there's nothing to do, or you're just so sedentary. I'm always a really active person, a mentally active person. So when I began to really transition out in 2018, I went from working maybe 20 hours a week at the beginning of the year to by the summer working like five. So I was kind of retired much earlier in the year, but it just took, it took the silence actually to be really unpleasant to wake me up to the fact that retirement is very much not like you ride off into the sunset and everything's great. Oh, and I'm just a millionaire and I'm just going to pet fluffy kitties and travel the world and everything is going to be normal. No, you still have to deal with yourself and you are still going to think of things in a certain way. And here's the thing that surprised me. You got to deal with the death of the identity you thought you had Mm -hmm. and your descent from the top of a mountain can be painful and very powerful impact on you. Mine was because I went from CEO of doing important things to CEO of laundry. And it was like, wow, I used to be important. And now I feel like a schmuck. (laughs) And like, I don't matter anymore. And that's not true, of course, but that's how it felt. And I had to really deal with that. And that was a very, very pivotal time for me. The more time I spend in the marketing business, the more I realize that marketing isn't just about your website, signage, social media, and print collateral. Marketing really sits across every part of your business. It starts with your brand, your signs, your website, but it continues on through the sales process. How you present yourself and your company on a sales call incorporates marketing. And just as importantly, how you deliver your service to your client is marketing. The feelings that they have in the middle and the end of the project are big factors in determining whether they will spread the word about you. At the end of the day, marketing across the entire customer lifecycle is really tough. That's why I love what BuildBook is up to. They've been working hard to bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Their new tools start on the marketing side, continue into the sales conversation, and finish with the project. Get these three elements working together and your business will be humming along. Happy clients, more profits, less stress. 
If you're aiming for the trifecta of the construction business, head on over to buildbook.co to try it free for yourself. That's buildbook.co. All right, let's get back to the show. So, yeah, I think a lot of people do get their identity wrapped up in what they do. So it sounds like you kind of started down this journey of figuring out like, okay, kind of who am I or where do I get my importance or or value? Is that kind of where you were at? Yeah, it was it was a time of a lot of reflection, especially because I had all the time in the world to reflect and I was just left with myself and my thoughts. And I made this unpleasant discovery that I'm sure lots of other people have experienced, but money's nice. Accomplishment is nice. Awards are nice. But at the end of the day, those things do not give you lasting happiness. They just give you highs. The highs are great. I mean, ask any drug addict, right? Highs are great, but you end up just chasing highs because at some point it always wears off. And I didn't realize it until I got to quote unquote, the finish line that all I had ever done was chase highs, but I was actually quite empty inside and there was no real happiness inside of me. I was facing the death of who I thought I was and really just kind of grappling with that and also realizing, oh my gosh, I actually have no idea what happiness really is. I have no idea how I would even be happy. I've got all the stuff in the world and I've got the accomplishments and I'm at the weight I want to be, like all the things that we're led to believe make us happy. I checked all the boxes, but I was still kind of, eh. So being the entrepreneur that I am and the natural born problem solver, I just looked at it as just another puzzle to solve. I was like, all right, well, what's happiness really? And what do happy people have in common? What do I do to be happy? Because I'm stubborn. And uh, like you first asked me, do I keep promises that I make to myself? Not really. (laughs) So how can I actually do it? Like, do I need to exercise every day? Do I need to like drink celery juice every morning? Like what's the recipe, right? There's a lot of things that I found in my research. I took this on as a big research project and I had loads of time to do it in. So I took a look at what people do and uh, what happy people do and why they do it. Like going to the gym, everybody knows that like, you know, even if you have like a workout that kicks your butt, you get the endorphins, you get happy from it, right? Mm -hmm, But it's not the endorphins that give you lasting happiness. It's actually the thing that made you go to the gym in the first place. And that was the kind of like the, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what else is here. So I kept like, you know, pulling on the thread to like unravel the sweater, you know? I wanted to understand, well, why do people do things like yoga? Why do people do things like affirm themselves? Why Do people go after their goals? Because these are all things that make people happy. Yeah, go after your goals, affirm yourself, you know, make a little gratitude lists, like do all these things. Why do people do that stuff? Is that the source of happiness? Turns out it is. The reason we do happy things is because of this internal drive inside of us that has a deep desire and alignment with happiness. And it's so funny. Like I'm such a New Englander, such a crunchy, like grumpy New Englander where like, I feel even silly sometimes thinking about like, oh, I'm now the happiness coach because it's like, it's so deep prioritized in our culture to think about how important happiness is to our immunity, to our success, to our bank accounts, to our family's vitality. But, and even our health, it's, you know, it's deep prioritized, right? So I had to 
figure out what it was, but I also had to get past the stigma of thinking that happiness is dumb and you just shouldn't focus on it and realize taking several steps back, happiness is not where you are. It's not what you have. It's not what you've done. It's not even what you do. It's, it's who you are. And that all of the things that are in your life are a product of the way you think. That's it. It's just the way you think. Your thoughts help you to go to the gym or sit on your butt. Your thoughts help you to 16 helpings of cake or perhaps a salad. Your mental habits determine how you feel about yourself and whether or not you're going to go after the stuff you want in life. So that was the real like light bulb moment for me was figuring out, oh my God, if I can change my thoughts, I can change everything. Like I don't have to be fighting with my husband anymore. I don't have to be battling health issues from stress. I don't have to be having people treat me like crap. Like it's all within my control. And I don't need to sit on a meditation pillow. I don't need to be chugging celery juice, which, you know, no offense to anybody, I think is gross. But if you drink it, good for you. Like, not in that camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had it once at the insistence of, a, insistence of a, a health coach friend of mine. I'm like, yep, had it once. <laughs> I admire her. It was crazy just to realize that happiness is something that we are fully 100% in control of and it is replicable and formulaic. So the nerdy side of me got super excited. I was like, ooh, a formula. Yes. I don't need to do like this weird ritualistic stuff. I just need to change my thinking. Of course, the question was, well, how do I do that? Can you just choose different thoughts? Is it that simple? Sort of. And I'll explain what I mean. So the six habits is a book that talks about the six mental habits that the happiest among us have. So on the cover, it says the six habits, practical tools for bringing your dreams to life. Some of us dream of simple things like just being happy. Some of us dream of humble things like just owning a home at all or getting married or starting a business for the first time and just going after things that take some courage, right? Other people dream of like yachts and mansions and that's awesome. My goals tend to be very humble. I just want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to see the world and I want to be with my family. You know, those are my dreams. And when we have these habits in place, we're able to really, I guess, approach the world differently. So can we acquire these habits? 100%. Is it easy? Not entirely. You have to first learn about the habits, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Then you have to just take that awareness and do something more with it other than, oh, that's nice. You have to actually apply the wisdom to your life. And how do you do it? Honestly, you kind of have to shoehorn it in. You have to force yourself to live in the best expression of these habits for an extended period of time to the point where it becomes actual habit. It's not going to be a habit in the beginning. It's not. So one of the habits, the first one, is kindness to yourself. Most people think of kindness as how we treat others, and that's true. But in this context, it's the thoughts, words, and actions of love that you have to yourself from yourself. It sounds like kind of corny and whatever. Like, remember, like Stuart Smalley, that's a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, gosh darn it, I like myself. Like, you gotta be the person that speaks words of love and encouragement and like cheerleadering to yourself. And most of us, we live in a space where we tear ourselves down. We don't even realize it. We have this terrible, inner monologue of this bully that's constantly saying, oh, I don't know. Don't go after that. 
don't ask for that much money. They're not going to say yes to you. You know what? Maybe just do the dishes and don't start the fight instead of saying how tired you are. Like, you know, we always have this habit that we've built through our culture and through growing up and just trying to make other people happy with us to put ourselves last, to put ourselves down and to discourage us and keep us small. But think about a nurturing parent. Are you a dad? I am. Got two little guys now. Two little guys. So when you're trying to encourage your little guys, do you say things like you can do it? Try again? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Now, imagine what would happen if you said all of that stuff to yourself when you fell down and skinned your knees in business, because we all do, right? If you can treat yourself the way you treat your children when they need encouragement and love, that's the kind of kindness I'm talking about. Like you look in the mirror and if you're 40 pounds overweight, thank you, quarantine. You can look in the mirror and be like, that was fun to build that. Cool. I'm still worthy of love. I'm good. You can say that to yourself. I'm going to go after that sale. I'm going to ask for the big dollars. I can do it. I believe in myself. Okay. I failed. Whatever. I'm going to try again. If you can speak to yourself this way and it becomes your default, that's the trick is to do it enough to where it becomes your default. That is the part where you start to change how you operate because that's how you change your your automatic thoughts. So when we encounter a challenge in life, you know, you want to go after, I don't know, a, maybe a, a new, new thing in your business. Maybe you want to go after a big sale, a big sale that you've never gone after that one that large. It's twice what you would normally go after. You're nervous, right? What's more likely to get you there? You can do it or don't ask for so much. Yeah. Makes sense. Pretty easy answer. Exactly. And you know, I'd like to tell you that you know the, the habits themselves are real revelatory breakthrough stuff. They're not. The fact that they're mental habits that can be acquired through a systematic approach in the specific way that we do it, that's the revelation. I mean, the words are all very simple. And unfortunately, they, can, they tend to be dismissed because of it. Like I say kindness to people. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Next. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for something they haven't heard before. But the part that we haven't heard before is you can change your thinking to make these your default. Because if your default is to treat yourself like crap, it will keep you small. Yeah. It seems like the, you know, that's the key, like you said, making it the default. So how, like, how do you, what does that process look like? How long should it take, you know, for, for somebody to start switching their thoughts over so that kind of the default takes over and is, and is running the operating system. So I say this as the CEO of a marketing company, marketers would love to have you believe that habits can be acquired in 21 easy days. That's a lie. 30 days, also a lie. I did a lot of research on this because being the stubborn human that does not like to do what I tell myself to do, I need to know what's the bare minimum here to get results. For sure. It's 66 days. That's what science says. And so what I did is I built a 90-day habit mastery program for me. So I could actually be successful and I could acquire these habits and change my thinking. And so I did it. I did it for 90 days. And I skipped a day here and there. And I did 90 because I knew that I'm human. And I knew I wouldn't be perfect. So I wanted to give myself some buffer, you know, because I like being successful, don't you? So I made a 90-day thing for myself. And now other people can do it too. Um, I've had lots of clients go through it. And we've seen really dramatic results. But the thing about the 90 days is that it's uncomfortable and weird in the beginning. Very weird. It's like awkward, you know, 
you're like really trying to like force yourself to like live at the very best of the, these habits and you know, before their habits. And it's just like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, of course it's weird. You haven't been doing this. You have a lot to undo and you have to be self-aware and you have to actually listen to yourself and you have to train your brain to hear when you're being a dartbag to yourself. If you can't hear it, you can't fix it. And that part is awkward. But what I discovered is that I started feeling pretty epic immediately which of course, you know, placebo, whatever, like, Ooh, sure. this is neat. Try out my new thing. This is great. Something new. Yeah. Right. But when the novelty wears off and the real work begins a couple weeks in, that's not new. It's not sexy. It's just hard work. But when you stick to it, it doesn't even take a lot of time. It's just so much awareness throughout your day. When you are super hyper aware for this period of 90 days, you change automatically. And when you start to feel the benefits, even when it's uncomfortable and forced, it's like, Hmm, I think I'm going to stick with this. You start to see like the results of it. It's kind of like you ever, have you ever in your life done a diet and you're like getting discouraged, but then you step on the scale and you're like, well, I am five pounds lighter. Maybe I should keep going. Yes. Yeah. You Anytime you can see the progress, it makes it easier. Yeah. So that's what exactly. one thing I'm curious about, you know, what kinds of progress did you see that was visible, whether that was, you know, physical things or emotionally or, you know, whatever. But as you're going through this 90 day process, like how did you know it was starting to work or you were feeling the effects of it? That's a great question. The results really vary per person. Some of my clients have gotten much larger impact, uh, like financially and things like that. And like maritally than I did. The types of results that I really wanted is I wanted to feel differently. My marriage was just not in a good place. And I was newly married just because I was so burnt out. I, I fully take ownership of that. I was not in a good place. So I was showing up kind of like a jerk. I got the courage to say some things that needed to be said and face my own stuff and apologize for the things that I was doing wrong and really own what I was doing so I could actually bring my best self to the marriage. I healed some relationships that were really kind of fractured and largely, you know, it takes two, right? But largely because I was being stubborn and I just wanted to be right. And I was given the clarity and the wisdom to be able to put that aside and just let the ego just take a break and just really do the right thing. I did actually get some nice financial gains as a result of going after things that probably wouldn't have gone after under normal circumstances. I noticed that I was sleeping better a lot. I had some spiritual breakthroughs and that was really, really important to me. I've always felt a little spiritually adrift, but I started to feel more grounded. I was just prioritizing things differently. And I noticed that other people were giving me really nice feedback and giving me unexpected compliments. Wow, you're so much calmer. What are you doing? And I'm a very high-strung person generally. I mean, not anymore, but that's kind of what I was for 30 some odd years. So to receive a compliment that I'm calmer, I'm more yeah. fun to be around. I'm that was a tangible to. difference that you were feeling. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you mean I'm, I'm less unpleasant to be around? Awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you can relax around me. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a really nice one. But actually it was during the 90 days that my husband and I decided to move to Maui 
we were just feeling so high on life. Like he was doing the 90 day program with me and it was awesome to see his transformation. It was, it was different than mine. So my husband had a very, very traumatic upbringing and he was able to let go of a lot of things and like a lot of his childhood trauma during that time, because he was able to finally have the courage to face those things, forgive some of the people in his family that traumatized him, let go of things, begin the healing process, really step into some courage. And we both decided now I, I lived in Massachusetts my whole life. I always lived within 30 minutes of my mom. And then I was like, actually, I'm going to move 5,000 miles and an ocean away from you. So yeah, that's a big change. (laughs) It's a big one. But the thing that was really, I guess, the most transformational for both of us was the experience of becoming more of who we really wanted to be. My husband always wanted to be a person that was not operating from a place of pain but operating from a place of like love and being the kind of husband and partner and friend and business person he always wanted to be. I always wanted to be calmer, sweeter, have the ability to surrender, take risks. I'm kind of risk averse. I became more willing to take on adventure. And yeah, I think that was probably the biggest transformation is really loving who I became through the process. It wasn't even like what I got, like, oh, look at all this money I got. Or like, hey, I won the lottery or no, it's, it's who I became. I love that the most. Yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. Well, it's funny too. I just want to jump back. I think it's funny that you said you're risk averse because most people would look at entrepreneurs as risk takers. So I find that an interesting I take my dichotomy. risks in the boardroom. I yeah. don't like to take them elsewhere in life. Like makes you know. sense. Yeah. yeah no, that's like, your area where like I'll risk here, but everywhere else we'll play it safe. <laughs> oh, totally. Like yeah. I've I've risked thousands of dollars. I've been on stages. I just had a TED talk published. And like I do these things like it's just another Tuesday. Because this is just the world I've lived in for so long. It doesn't even feel like risk anymore. I've made financial bets on businesses. I've started businesses, I've closed businesses. Business is my, it's almost like my love language, right? So business is not risky for me. However, you know what is risky for me? Moving away from my mommy. That's a hard one. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Like going on a crazy, insane hike up a river when I'm not a good swimmer and the waters are rising when it's super dangerous and there's no place to climb. I don't want to do that, but but I did it. And, you know, like traveling alone to countries where I don't speak the language. I've done that. I went to Costa Rica by myself. I went to Italy by myself. Went to Mexico by myself. And I've done all these things while married, by the way. But these are the types of things that like, I've, I want to do. Like, oh, I want to be that person that goes in the waterfall. Mm, I want to be the person that like walks, you know, in the, in the jungle with like all these cute little monkeys and macaws and everything. And I want to be the person that like wanders around Milan by myself, eating a gelato, like humming along to uh, Bocelli. I've done it. These are definitely the products of courage, not absence of fear. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's cool. Well, I guess if people want to learn more about the 90 day program or pick up the book, what's a, a good method for, for doing that? You can go to the six habits.com, the S I X habits.com. You can go there, check out the book, start there, start there. Don't even worry about the 90 day program until you've read the book, read the book, really resonate with the message. Have your aha moment, have your moment of like, wow, 
I should do this. Wow. I can do this. Wow. I'm going to do this. Start with the book and then, and then dive into the other stuff, but knowledge is power. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And I, and I like, you know, the, the way you kind of talked about these, it's really like working towards who you want to become. So we all have these things inside of us. We're like, Oh, it'd be cool if I could do this, or I really want to do this, but then something's holding you back or you feel like it's not your personality or, or something like that. So I'm assuming like, this is that process that you can use to kind of transform that thinking, give yourself the encouragement, give yourself the courage to, to bridge that gap and get to that. I have to say there's, I've read so many personal development books and in my thirties, I was the, you know, audiobook junkie. I just loved them. But at the end of so many of these things, I was just the same and I never felt any different. And the reason for all of that, it's not because the books aren't brilliant. And it's not because these authors aren't giving you wonderful tools. It's, it's the application of the wisdom. You have to apply it. So that's been a big part of the writing of this book was to write it in such a way that it's loaded with actionable wisdom and like lots of tools that you can put to use right away. Reading the book will not change your life, but actually doing something with the wisdom, even if you only take one of the habits and put that one into practice, just one will change your life massively. Now imagine cool. what would happen if you did all six. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's always in the execution. You know, that's what I Isn't found too. I'm a big, big reader and audiobook guy as well. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times you go through them and you're like, awesome. And then you just move on to the next one. And if you don't actually do anything with it, you know, it never, never does anything for you. So uh, I think that's good advice. Well, Laura, we have one last segment of the show that we always do with every guest. We call it the fast five. So I'm just going to hit you with five rapid fire questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up. First question is, and you can't pick your own book, but what's your favorite business book and why? (laughs) Gosh, there's so many. I love business books. I actually really, really like um, How to Sell Professional Services, The Sandler Way. I'm obsessed with sales and selling. And yeah, they, they have an approach that makes it methodical, ethical, high integrity, and not creepy. So yeah, that's cool. my favorite one. That's a good one. Cool. All right. Next question. Who is the most inspirational person in your life? Can I be a jerk and say myself? It's your, it's your answer. Whatever you want. Yeah. I, <laughs> I am inspired by the things that I've had the courage to do. And I'm inspired by the me of five years from now and all the cool stuff she's done and will do. I can't wait to meet her. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Switching gears. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? I always wanted to be invisible. That's a good one. I I don't know why. I just, I always thought it would be really fun to just like, creep around and like go in places I'm not supposed to go into and just like, just be a fly on the wall for like people's arguments and stuff. Yeah. You can learn a lot that way, you know? Oh yeah. What are they really saying about me? You know what? I just want Harry Potter's cloak. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That would be so cool. Is that too much to ask for? You know, is it so much really, you know what? In 2020 where the implausible became highly plausible, I'm expecting my cloak any day now. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, <laughs> as soon as you get one, we'll order one as well. What's so. <laughs> the superpower you want? You know, nobody's ever flipped it back at me. I would choose teleportation. I, yeah. A lot of people, you know, I thought about flying, but I feel like I could basically get that out of teleportation, but to be able I to just like teleportation jump, is efficient. Yep. Exactly. Jump across the world, you know, I'm not a big commute person. I've tried to minimize my commute already, but you won't you get know. wind burn that way. 
Yeah, fair enough. So, but what if it's like Star Trek and you don't energize completely perfectly? You're still well. Like, I'm assuming isolated. this would be like perfect teleportation. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I gotta right. ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, next question is: uh, Describe yourself in three words. <sighs> Passionate, creative, loving. All right. Final question: If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Mm, have the courage to do the work on yourself. It's the scariest work you'll ever do. And it can be the most uncomfortable, but it is hands down the most rewarding, the most beneficial. You'll get more juice out of that squeeze than anything else you ever do in your life is to do the work for you. Cool. Cool. Good advice. Well, Laura, thanks so much for joining me today. This was great. Definitely was. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text RADIO to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.